think I found what's causing that problem. So I will not hit. <laughs> if you're following along, turn with me to page seven. We're going to confess our faith together using question 36. Um, asking who's the mediator? Who's our mediator? And several weeks ago, I had the opportunity to teach on the doctrine of the Trinity for our, for our kids. And it, it, it's one of those doctrines that, that touches on so many different pieces of all of Christianity. And this question today is answering that. It's saying, what, who, who is this person? And how are they able to be that for us? And that's the answer we're going to read today. So who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? The only mediator of the covenant of grace is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, of one substance and equal with the Father, in the fullness of time became man, and so was and continues to be God and man, in two entire distinct natures, and one person forever. Kiddos, if you're up through fifth grade, would you come join me up here in the front? And we'll take a seat up here in the center circle. Hey, good morning, children. Good to see you here to have church with no lights on, isn't it? Hey, I want to tell you a story that's a story about the gospel in the beginning. Does anybody know what the first book of the Bible is? I see hands. So just call it out. Genesis, that's right. Do you know what Genesis means? It means beginnings. And did you know that in the very beginning, what does the Bible say there was in the very beginning? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's right. And the earth was what? It was formless and empty and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And do you remember what God said on the first day when he created the world? What did God say the very first day? He said, let there be what? Light. Let there be light. And it's like, oh, when there was light, all of our attention goes toward the light, doesn't it? And you know that if God were to create, the, when God created the world, it was formless and void and empty, and there was darkness over the face of the deep. And what did, it, what did God do when he created the light? Did he mix some light bulbs together and then turn them on? No. What did he do when he created the world? That's right, Max. He just said, let there be light. Now, let's, let's try it. Can we say, let there be light? I'll, 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 on the count of three, let's all say, let there be light. Ready? One, two, three. Let there be light. Oh, it didn't work for us, did it? But for God, when God says, let there be light, he just has to say it with the power of his word. And all of a sudden, there's light. And isn't it amazing how God just has the power to just say it, to say the word light, and then there's light. Isn't that incredible? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And do you know that when God came, he came by the power of his word. 
And in the sermon this morning, what I'm going to teach your mom and dad and you as you listen is that God still continues to speak the word light into our darkness. Except it's not the darkness of no light like we think about when it's dark outside. It's the darkness of our hearts, of sin and death. And God speaks another good word, and he says, Jesus. And he, through the incarnation, speaks light into the world. And he didn't do it by the power of his word like he did in the beginning, but he does it by the power of his living word, the Lord Jesus Christ in the incarnation. And so that when you see the baby Jesus this Christmas, you should think God's doing it again, a new creation. God is speaking new creation into the world when he created Jesus, the light of the world, to come and be amongst us. And do you know that God continues again and again to speak the beauty of his new creation when he says, let there be light. Isn't that good news? That's good news indeed. Glory to God. Children, God's peace be with you and also with you. Go forth to worship in peace and with our love. All right. Now, this is going to be a challenge for us as a church because we've always thought it'd be great if we could turn the lights off every once in a while, but it takes about five minutes for them to come back on. So we're going to go back to our seats so the kids are going to be introduced to, uh, or go back to Trinity Kids, and we're going to do it as safely as we can, and there are lights to help us, and you can find your mom and dad also in the midst of the darkness. We all have flashlights, and we'll help you find your way back home. All right. Isn't this fun? It's kind of fun to have uh, the lights are off, right? They're going to come back on, I promise, but we're going to do... The, the darkness dance, and we're going to do the passing of the peace. Yes, in the darkness somehow. So, are you ready? For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light, or lack thereof right now, right? In your light do we see light. The peace of the Lord be with you always, and also with you. Let's stand carefully and say hi to somebody near you that you haven't yet met. Guys, we are so glad you're here. Be sure to fill out those green Trinity Connect cards. Thank you so much.
Okay, friends, if you have a Bible, would you please take it and open with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. As you gather back together, let me make a couple of announcements of things that you'll want to know about in the coming weeks. First of all, throughout the month of January, we're going to have community group sign-ups. And so if you have uh, not yet jumped into a community group, then I, I encourage you in the month of January to be sure to sign up for community groups. They'll be available. The sign-ups will be available in the back corner of the gym. Please find a community group. They are the front line of our pastoral care as a church. If you're not in a community group, you're missing a vital resource that the Lord has given to you to help you grow in fellowship and community. Secondly, I want you to know that on the 15th of January, if you work downtown or you can get downtown, then beginning on Wednesday the 15th and each Wednesday after that, I'm going to start a Bible study in the back room of Elote, which is downtown. And I invite any of you who work downtown to come join me for that. We're going to meet together and uh, it will be a leadership Bible study and, and we'll, we'll jump into God's Word. It'll start at noon and we'll have a hard stop at one so we can get you back to the office uh, quickly. That's on the 15th of January. And then on the 26th of January, which is the last Sunday of the month, we're going to have our annual congregational meeting where we'll look back on 2019 and we'll look ahead to 2020 and all that we believe the Lord is calling us to do as a church and be as a church. And so note those times. Community group signups throughout the month of January. The 15th, come join me for the Bible study downtown and each additional Wednesday. And then the 26th, mark your calendar to stay a little later because we'll have um, uh, uh, our congregational meeting after worship. All right. If you're willing and able, let's stand together as we read God's Word, Genesis chapter 1. I'll read verses 1 through verse 5. This is a fun sermon for me because this is the very first sermon I ever preached at Trinity Presbyterian Church many, many years ago, back in 2011. And it will help us link what we've just looked at at Christmas with the book of John, which we're going to begin studying again. We'll start in chapter 6 and continue on expositionally uh, in January. This is God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Lauren and I have three boys and a girl. We like to say we have three jagged stones and a pearl. And not long ago, we um, had friends in the neighborhood over at our house. And, and it, there were forts that were being made. We, we play this game where you put an old mattress on our stairs and you slide down the stairs on this old crummy old mattress. There, there were toys strewn everywhere. And there was a family from the church coming over for dinner and so we, we said, as we often do, all right, guys, we need to clean up. 
And so the, the kids know the routine, and Lauren and I help. We all kind of jump in and start cleaning stuff up. We all have our different spots and spaces. And so the kids ran up to the playroom to clean up. And, and, and we, could, we could hear Annie getting frustrated with her brothers. And, and, and like the, 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 kids, the kids were cleaning up, and then they found the swords. And the boys started playing with the swords. And I could hear Annie going, boys, clean up. And, and, and then a little later, we could hear them playing uh, cops and robbers because they'd found the guns. And, they, and, and I could hear Annie saying, boys, clean up. And then a few minutes later, we heard one of our boys say, we don't want to clean up. We want to play. And Annie came down the stairs, and she put her hands on her hips, and she goes, why, Mom and Dad, didn't you have another girl? All these boys, and they won't clean up. And I feel like I live among the grumbling Israelites. <laughs> and we, 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 we giggle at little stories like that because we, we know the reputation of boys, and we also know the reputation of course of the Israelites. And the Israelites were people who, um, you know, were in bondage in Egypt. They were, they were captive and they were enslaved and they were in oppression. And God came to the Israelites and he said, I promise you, I promise you, I'm going to deliver you. I promise you, I'm going to be with you. And, and What's more, God didn't just say, I promise you that I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. God said, I promise you I'm going to take you all the way out of Egypt, all the way to the promised land. I promise you, I am going to get you into the promised land, out of the bondage. I promise you. And guess what? That was the gospel to the Israelites. I promise you. I want to deliver you out of bondage, and I'm going to get you into the promised land. And guess what? That is the gospel to you, too. The gospel to you, too, is the exact same gospel that was the gospel to the Israelites. That God said, I'm going to deliver you from oppression and bondage and sin. And I promise you that I'm going to finish the job. He promises you he's going to get you from the oppression of sin in your experience. And he's going to take you all the way to the promised land. He is going to finish the job. He promises you. Now, what was the problem for the Israelites? It's the same problem you have. It's the same problem I have. The wilderness like, it's one thing to say, I am going to deliver you. I'm going to take you out of bondage. I'm going to take you away from the penalty of sin, and I'm going to place my name upon you. It's one thing for God to call you out and to say, I'm going to deliver you. Great! But we're smack dab in the middle of the wilderness. I still have to live my life. And when God delivered the Israelites, friends, he delivered them out of bondage of Pharaoh, out of Egypt, and he put them smack dab in the middle of the wilderness. And for a lot of you, you feel the exact same way those Israelites did many, many years ago. You've been delivered from so much, but now you're smack dab in the middle of life. And it's hard. Like the wilderness is a hard place to live. It was dry. It was arid. 
In fact, the Israelites wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness. And an entire generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died. There were, there were thousands of graves amidst the rocky crags and the sandy soils of the wilderness. They died, waiting for that promise to be delivered in the middle of the wilderness. And they said, in the middle of the wilderness, God, you're not going to finish the job. And so I need to take care of myself. And if you're not going to finish it, then I'll take my future into my own hands. And so what did they do? They did the exact same thing that you and I do. They set up for themselves little gods. And their gods are the same gods that you and I have. Their gods were provision, money. Their gods were sex. Their gods were control. Their gods were possessions. Not much has changed since Genesis chapter 1. Now, the question of all of this is, where does Genesis fit? Why am I talking about Genesis when the text that I just read is talking about creation? And the answer is very simple. This is the story that Moses told the Israelites when they were in the midst of the wilderness. This is the story that God gave to Moses to speak over the people when they were in the darkness. And the book of Genesis has one primary purpose, and it's this, to remind Israel of the gospel. Let me say it again. The book of Genesis has one primary purpose, and it is to remind Israel of the gospel. And guess who else? Us also. The book of Genesis was written to remind you of the gospel so that when you're sitting in the midst of the wilderness, you can read the book of Genesis and you can glean some hope in the midst of the confusion and the wandering and the chaos of your life. The book of Genesis was written so that you can find out what it means to live in the wilderness and what it means to believe in the promises of God, that he is going to finish the job. That was the gospel for the Israelites, and that's the gospel for you. So I want to open this passage up for us just for a few moments. And I just want us to see, there's like a lifetime of reflection in these first five verses. But I just want us to see two points. Our chaos and God's intervention. Our chaos and God's intervention. Lower your eyes to your Bible or to the bulletin. Look with me. Look at verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, if you're not careful when you read through this, you miss something that is huge, that is almost like unspeakably massive that we just tend to run through whenever we read the first part of the Bible. We've seen this verse thousands of times probably for some of you. Why does, why does the Bible not begin like this? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. Why doesn't God just jump to how he created the world? I mean, after all, that's what we think the book of Genesis is primarily about, right? It tells us how God created the world. But it doesn't say that. Why does Moses include verse 2? Why all this talk about formlessness and emptiness and void and darkness? Why does Moses start the whole Bible from the fact that the earth was formless and empty and, and dark? 
And there's three words that you need to remember. And they're, they're fun to say. They're all in Hebrew. And the words are tohu vabohu. Isn't that fun to say? Yeah, yeah, I see it. You want to try it? Tohu vabohu. Can we say that together? Tohu vabohu. And there's another word for darkness called vahoshek. So into the tohu vabohu and the vahoshek, Moses is, is speaking this story over the Israelites, telling them about it. He is saying that the earth was without form and void, tohu vabohu. And it might lead you to believe that, that these words, when you first read it, are, are adjectives describing like the condition of the earth, right? But actually, in Hebrew, these words are nouns, which is not what you might first think of. And when you, when you look for these nouns elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's interesting. You, you find them elsewhere. You don't find bohu except for one other place. That's in Jeremiah. And tohu, we find it again the end of the Pentateuch, and it's the passage that Harlan read earlier. Verse 10 of Deuteronomy 32. He, God, found him, it's a metonym for all of Israel, found Israel in a tohu, in a desert wasteland. Interesting language, isn't it? He found him in a desert wasteland, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him, and he kept him as the apple of his eye. So tohu, can also mean a desert. And the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 34.11 uses the term bohu to mean a wasteland. And so, guess what other words are used interchangeably for tohu vabohu in the Old Testament? Bondage and oppression. So now Moses starts out the whole Bible saying, now the earth was a desert. Now the earth was a wasteland, as it were. The, the earth was a place of bondage and oppression. Now, wh why would Moses start the whole Bible? Are you with me? Why would he start the whole Bible out in this way? And frankly, it gets worse. In Vahoshek, it doesn't just mean darkness. It means like the creepy kind of darkness that you know whenever you, your kids are up late in the middle of the night and you put them back to bed and they're scared. It's the kind of darkness that when you're walking somewhere, maybe out on a date night downtown Tulsa and the streetlights are out, and you're walking back to your car and, and you feel like somebody's watching you, like the creepy darkness. That's what vahoshek in Hebrew means. Your heart starts to beat. And before you know it, you're picking up your gait and your pace because you feel like somebody's following you. The world that the Hebrews lived in was captured by these words, this spiritual funk, this darkness, this chaos. Now, why would that be important to the Israelites? Because they're sitting in the middle of the wilderness around a campfire. And they're hearing Moses tell the story from the mouth of God. And what would they be thinking? That's my life. I'm in the middle of the wilderness. I'm in the creepy darkness. I'm in the tohu vabohu. I'm in the desert wasteland. This is it. That was the Israelites' experience. And friends, that's my experience. And that's why Genesis chapter 1 is important for you too, because that's also our experience, isn't it? Your experience and my experience, generally speaking, is that of chaos, especially today. 
You're wondering whether your marriage is going to make it. You're wondering if you're going to make this next round of cuts at the company. You're wondering if you're going to be able to find a job. You're longing to have a child. Like you feel like your, your life is constantly in this kind of chaotic state, this frenetic pace of chaos. Even after Christmas, you feel like my life feels a little bit like the tohu vabohu. And some of you, listen, some of you can immediately, immediately relate to this. Like, this is your life. It's easy. You, you know, you, you, you've got it. You're, 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 struggling. you're struggling from an addiction. You're like, we're all in this, right? You, you feel it. Um, and some of us feel this at, at like multiple levels. There, there, years ago, when Lauren and I were in a community group with some friends, um, we, they, we were reading Ed Welch's book, when, when People Are Big and God is Small. And one of our friends in that community group who's a consultant, and he said, there is a book that we, we read in business school. It's called um, Managing the Professional Services Firm. And in the middle of this book that they give at almost every uh, business school, there was this little line that pierced him to the heart. And it said that behind the work of every consultant is often a man or a woman who feels very insecure because they are afraid that they'll be found out to be an imposter. <laughs> that somehow they're trying to represent an image that they really aren't in order to sell the product that they're trying to sell. And, and my friend said, I feel like that's true of my professional life. I, I feel like I'm kind of in the darkness wading through this professional challenge of trying to be a consultant. So sometimes it's, it's easy for us to see. We see it morally. We see it with our own addictions, our own struggles, our own marriages, our own relationships. And sometimes we see it in our professional life where we have this kind of insecurity, nothing really is firm, and we're afraid that with each new round of cuts, we, we are desperately afraid that we're going to be included in those. Some of us hear the sermon and are like, okay, 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 great, thank you. I don't have an addiction that, that I know of. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really struggling in, in ways that you know, we had a great Christmas, we have a great family, it's really a sweet time for us, it's wonderful, it's great. And, and to you, I just want to say, wonderful. Genesis 1 also applies to you. Because while you may not be able to see the chaos in the outside, you still struggle over the greatest problem in your life, and that is your struggle with sin. And you're deceiving yourself when you begin to think that, oh, I've got my bases covered, because you don't. And more and more as we walk in the Christian life, you see the beauty of God's grace and the height of his glory, but you also see the reality of your continual struggle over certain sins. Uh, Jesus said in, in John 8, he just finished this beautiful sermon, and he says, if you abide in me and in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, and these, these Jews are listening to Jesus, you know, preach the sermon, and they have the, the chutzpah to walk up to Jesus and to say, what are you talking about bondage? We're not in bondage to anybody. And, and Jesus looks at them, and he says, you're not in bondage to anyone. Well, how about bondage to Egypt, or bondage to Persia, or bondage to the Greeks, or how about bondage to Roman, to the Romans? Are you are you are you sure you're not in bondage to anybody? And and, and I'm sure that these Greeks are these Jews are thinking, well, Jesus, like, listen, we're we're religious folks, we're not in bondage to anybody. And Jesus flips the script on him again. He says, "Are you kidding me?" He says to them, in essence, "Who have you not been enslaved to?" Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever sins, Jesus says, 
is a slave to sin. And some of us assess our life from the outside to the inside, but Jesus is taking us and assessing us from the inside to the outside and saying, even if you feel like you're not in oppression or bondage, I'm telling you, you are because you're in bondage to sin. He always works in us from the inside to the outside. Truly, truly, I say it to you, even if you don't think there's chaos in the outside, I tell you the truth, there's chaos in the inside. And that's our problem. Now, is there any hope? That's the big question. Is there any hope for Israel? Is there any hope for us? And thankfully, the answer is yes. There's clarity amidst the chaos, and there's hope for the freedom of bondage. So look at verses 3 to 5. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, verse 3, this is so beautiful. And God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. How does God intervene into the chaos? Answer? By the power of his word. By the power of his word, he extends his kingdom of peace, of shalom. He brings light into the darkness. By the power of his word, he looks at the original chaos and he says, light. And there's light. By the power of his word, it's done. It's, it's, it's like if you were to come over to my house about 6 o'clock every night and, and I come home and, you know, the dog is barking and the telemarketers are ringing everybody's cell phone and my kids are playing in the kitchen and it's like total chaos at my house. Anybody else's house like that? And, and I walk in and I listen to this for like eight minutes and I know Lauren's been listening to this for like eight hours and I walk into the kitchen and in the midst of all the chaos I go, hey! And everybody turns their eyes to dad. And I say, that's better. It's good to be home. Honey, how was your day? And Lauren is like over there with hands full of hair, pulling her hair out. But God speaks into the darkness by the power of his word. He did it decisively, effortlessly, effortlessly and purposeful. It was a one-time act. God did it, created the world. He intervened. We know that creation is voluntary and effortless and, and rational. And it was in marked contrast to all the creation myths of neighboring cultures, which theirs was characterized by a process of inevitable, inevitable conflict and struggle. And Moses is saying, your God is different. He does it decisively. He does it effortlessly, the power of his word. And he does it with purpose. Now, how would this give hope to Israel? Because God did the same for them. God stepped into the tohu vabohu of Israel, and he delivered them from the power of darkness for them. But he did it how? He did it, please listen to me, he did it in the same way. By the power of his word through a man. And who was that man? Moses. God came to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to deliver my people. And by the power of my word, through you, I'm going to deliver them. 
And so Moses did. Remember, remember the old Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner? You know, when, when Moses, Charlton Heston, walks up to Pharaoh, Yul Brynner, and there's a long line of people, and, and Charlton Heston, you know, next, and Pharaoh hears the request, and then Charles, you know, Heston slowly makes his way to the front, and he gets to the very front, and Pharaoh, Yul Brynner says, Moses, what shall I do for you? Remember the old movie, he bangs his staff, and he looks at Yul Brynner, and Charlton Heston, Moses says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And Yul Brynner, like, you know, he, he smiles, and he goes, oh, wasn't expecting that one. No. And then, you know, this Exodus tells us the story of how God then sends the ten plagues upon Mo, uh, Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And, and, and eventually, the Lord sets Israel free. And how does he do it? He does it through a man. And God says in, Genesis, in Exodus, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Hivites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And God intervened into the people of Israel. How? By the power of his word through a man. And what does that have to do with us today? Everything. Because God still intervenes in the exact same way. In the original creation and the he intervened by the power of his word. With Israel, he intervened by the power of his word through a man. And today, amidst our oppression and our darkness to sin, to which we are captive, he intervenes again by the power of his word, not through a man, but who is a man. God intervenes by the power of his word, who is a man. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That God steps in to the midst of our addictions, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of the relational tension. And he steps in by taking the form of a servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes to us as a baby. And he intervenes into the chaos of our world, dark with sin, and he steps in. And Jesus is described as what? He is the light of the world. Again, you know, we've studied this in John. But if you look back in the book of John, the very, very beginning, listen to how it begins. John chapter 1, in the beginning, sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, so in John is writing a new creation account based upon the power of God's Word, who is a man, Jesus stepping into our darkness and our chaos. Do you, friends, do you see the connection between the way the Bible is a pastoral book, even in Genesis, for the people of Israel, and how it points us to the gospel from the very, very beginning, to the one who still comes to us to intervene into our chaos by the power of God's word, who is a man, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
your great hope and my great hope is that the same God who spoke order into the original chaos and who spoke hope for Israel in the midst of the wilderness still speaks hope for you and for me. And so when you think about your life, we must push against the fact that we were educated and raised in the 21st century that makes us think almost always our default mode is, is to think about our own individual stories and how God is shaping you individually, which is true, he is. But he's connected you with a community of faith that goes all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1. And upon their shoulders do we stand. We have to begin to recognize that we are part of God's covenant people. It's more and more important for us because it, 500 years ago, it was almost impossible to imagine not believing in God. And because of a whole host of reasons I can't get into now, today we live in a time when it almost seems impossible for many people to actually believe in God. It's taken us 500 years in the Western world to be able to switch where our plausibility structures, our default modes are almost by default to live a life without God. And the church therefore stands in the midst of that chaos, into that darkness, as the light Ourself to extend God's light as we hold Jesus high because we don't have the solution to the problem but we know that Christ himself is the solution to the problem and we of all people will become the minority culture very quickly and we have to therefore be able to recognize our lives in the midst of people who will be able to hold firm to the cross of Christ when the rest of the world finds it almost silly to believe in God, much less give up their Sunday mornings. And we talk about this as a community because it is so important for us to understand where do we find our ultimate happiness and joy. Jonathan Edwards, when he wrote The End for Which God Created the World, has this, this great line in it where he says that when humanity fell, God could have been completely just in judging the earth but when he clothed Jesus in the flesh, he intervened into the chaos of our life by binding up his happiness in your happiness in him. It's interesting that when God made the world, God, when God sent Christ, he said, I'm going to send my son and I'm going to bind up my happiness with the happiness of my covenant people who have called out. I've chosen to be mine. And when they find their greatest happiness in me, then they will become the light of the world I've intended them to be. I will not give up on them. I will speak into the chaos and the darkness that is our life. And listen, if you are, if you're a Christian here today, would you just meditate and think about the fact that God speaks into the chaos of your life by the power of his word who is a man today? just like he did for ancient Israel. The gospel of the Old Testament is the gospel of the New Testament. This one gospel, one unified story. And it's your story. Is that the story you tell your children? Is that the story that marks your life? If, if, if we were to take a, take a snapshot of your life over the course of a month, what stories are told in your family? This is our family story. We should know it and tell it and make it part of the default mode of how we operate as a people of God. Because if we don't do that, our children and we ourselves know that we get captivated by so many other narratives that tell us where happiness is found. But God 
says, don't create other gods for you. Money, sex, possessions, control. Fight against it because they will leave you back to the same place that Israel found themselves in the wilderness, in the darkness, in the void, and the chaos. And that is something that exclusive humanism cannot solve. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ solves. And into our void, into our darkness, he calls. And so how do we appropriate that? One way we appropriate it is in relationships. And one way we've tried to help you in that is by setting up community groups in our church. There's nothing particularly special about community groups except that they allow you to have more surface area with each other to talk about these stories and to talk about the darkness of your own life. And if you're not in a community group, I just encourage you, would you please pray about getting into one this semester? And if you're new to the church, would you just ask the Lord, Lord, what would it look like to imagine me and my family as part of this community? What would it look like? And if you're struggling with the faith or you're, you're, uh, you have questions about Scripture or you're, you're really wondering about where, where the Lord is in your life and you have all these doubts, man, come juggle those doubts with us. Come with us. Bring them. Let's talk about them together. Because God's called us to be a community. And even in our intellectual struggles, we don't struggle alone. We struggle together. And so that is... Um, it's what God has called us to be and to do. God intervenes into your life by the power of his word. God intervened into the power, into the life of Israel by the power of his word through a man, Moses. And today God continues to intervene by the power of his word, who is a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Come to him at the supper. Let's pray. Father, thank you that at the end of time, you will say to us, for those of us who believe in you, who placed our faith in you and in the great story of redemptive history, well done, my good and faithful servant. But you will not say it because of anything we've done. You will say it because Jesus has done it all for us. Into the chaos of our life, Jesus came to intervene. The power of your word, who is a man. Thank you that you have bound yourself to us. Thank you that this is the gospel. Help us to believe it. Help us to know you, to experience the shalom and the peace you intend for us to know amidst the chaos and the darkness. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to lead lives that are fully obedient to you in every way, including with our possessions, of which an offering is just one way we show that you have intervened into our life. Would you bless the offering, we pray, to multiply it for your kingdom's purposes. Would you help us to be good stewards individually and as a community of the resources that you have given to us. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
The Lord Jesus intervenes into our life and he does so through means of grace, the preached word and worship and prayer and fellowship and also through the Lord's table. Jesus is spiritually present in these elements. You can't see him. He's not physically present because he's at the Father's right hand, but he is here and he intends to change you by his presence. The night that Jesus was betrayed in the upper room, he took bread with his disciples and he broke it and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And also in the same manner after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink, it, drink of it, all of you, for the remission of your sins. For as often as you do eat of this bread and you do drink of this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ, our Passover, intervened into the chaos of our life for us. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take these and feed on them in your hearts by faith, knowing that Christ died for you.